0: It's the Code St. Luke podcast, where you'll hear interesting topics and people brought together through the Code St. Luke Public Library. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Let's Talk Movies with Code St. Luke librarian Stephen Tomlinson. That's me. And for the next 30 minutes or so, I'll be talking about financial thrillers, in particular two very contemporary financial thrillers, each about a relatively recent real life and far-reaching financial event. Margin Call, a barely fictionalized account of the origins of the financial crisis of 2007, 2008. And the second movie is entitled The Laundromat, a semi-satirical take on the release of the Panama Papers in 2016. Both movies are available to view on Netflix, while Margin Call is also available to borrow as a DVD from the library. Margin Call is a 2011 American financial thriller written and directed by one J.C. Chandor in his feature directorial debut. Chandor is a 47-year-old writer-director best known for three films that he has made in the last 10 years. All is Lost with Robert Redford in 2013, A Most Violent Year with Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain in 2014, and this movie, Margin Call, which, as I said, uh, came out in 2011. You know, you might say that um, that J.C. Chandor knows that of which he speaks. I mean, his father was an investment banker for 35 years, and he grew up in that environment, both in London and in the larger New York area. So he's really of this world. And his screenplay for Margin Call, which was nominated for an Oscar in 2012, it was partially informed by his own foray into real estate investments in New York City, just shortly before the financial crash of 0708 and he has said that in writing this movie that he that he thought he knew these type of characters from the inside you know the investment bankers the people the executives the CEOs um the higher ups the the management figures who were all involved in more or less instigating the crash of that period i mean he knows how they talk and believes how they thought and both of those things certainly come across well in the movie margin call was made on a three million dollar budget and shot over 17 days (laughs) and those two things are largely unheard of in american filmmaking you know where, where movies not atypically cost north of $100 million to make and certainly require a lot more than 17 days to film. And what's particularly notable about Margin Call is that um, it has a big name cast despite that relatively small budget. A cast that includes such actors as Jeremy Irons, Kevin Spacey, Demi Moore, Stanley Tucci and um, several other recognizable figures. In fact, uh, one of them is Zachary Quinto, perhaps best known for playing uh, Spock in the uh, recent iteration of the Star Trek franchise. And um, it was his production company that uh, was behind the film. And because the movie had a script already in place, he was able to help um, get all of those actors on board all of whom were willing, and this helps explain the relatively small budget, to take a pay cut in order to make the film. I guess as they were attracted to uh, an intelligent character-based script, which is kind of what they do in the theater world, too. A lot of very well-known film film actors will will also do theater work at uh, a cost that is much less what they would... um, demand in Hollywood itself and that was the case with this movie so it and it does play in many ways like a theater piece as it is really dialogue and character centered another thing that I think made this film economically viable is that it was largely confined to just a few sets uh in plain office space which I um you know much like a play, which itself is often really confined to just a few set pieces, and where the dialogue is, of course, of principal importance, as is the case with Margin Call. Now, this is not literally a true story, but it does take place over a 24-hour period at a large, unnamed Wall Street investment bank, which I think must have been based on an an amalgam of companies during the initial stages of that financial crisis in 07-08. You know, um, companies like Goldman Sachs, which similarly moved early to hedge and reduce its position in mortgage-backed securities. And also Lehman Brothers, which moved second and went corrupt. And that is kind of what uh, is going on in this movie and the events that it portrays. Now, while it may seem improbable, given the real-life event, uh, there is very much a thriller aspect to this film. I mean, so well executed is it by J.C. Chandor and his cast. For example, early in the film, the Stanley Tucci character, who's the head of risk management at the firm, the unnamed firm in the movie, he's just been let go, along with uh, many others considered redundant. We see him pack his things, um, and just as he's leaving, he hands a portable storage device to a now-former underling, played by Zachary Quinto. And as the elevator, elevator doors close upon him, he says to the Quinto character, Be careful! <laughs> and, I mean, that's, that's a classic plot device uh, in, that we can find in so many... Suspense films and something that certainly captures our attention early on. Now, the character that Quinto plays, he's is, of course, intrigued by that warning. And so he works, you know, late into the night to complete and understand what the Tucci character had given him. And he soon discovers that the assumptions underpinning the investment bank's present risk profile are all wrong. I mean, historical volatility levels in mortgage-backed securities are being exceeded, which means that the bank's position in those assets is overleveraged and a decline in their value large enough to cause the firm's bankruptcy will occur at some point in the future or at least is likely to occur. They're not sure. And that becomes very important uh, later in the film regarding decisions that are made. So certainly one of the most notable things about this film, which is, you know, dealing with very recondite financial matters, is the suspenseful structure that has been set up by the filmmaker Chandor from the very start. I mean, not so much what will happen in the end. I mean, we have a pretty good idea, as viewers, what's going to happen. But rather, what is it like for these characters to walk around with important information that, you know, average people like us don't yet have? And what will they do with it? I mean, how will they, as characters, justify their actions? You know, what positions will they take? What will they say? And these are some of the questions that the movie is definitely posing here. I mean, both at the level of genre in terms of suspense, but also in relation to the real-life financial events that the film portrays. And I think it's the, definitely the triumph of the movie that it that is able to take, you know, fairly convoluted financial jargon and turn it into compelling character-centered dialogue. I mean this is clearly a very well-made movie both well-structured and character-based with superb recognizable actors on hand to portray all of these characters. And it's really necessary that they they're also good because of course Um, to turn them into caricatures might have been a much more easy and ultimately crowd-pleasing approach, but the director does not go in that direction. It's a much more intelligent film than that. Which isn't to say that there aren't villainous actions that occur, but um, we're in an adult realm here not one of comic books and caricatures. But the movie is also strong visually and helps to convey that all of these characters, these very privileged uh, upper management executives, are under much pressure. And the film does this um, by shooting in small, often darkened and claustrophobic rooms. I mean, that might be making a virtue of necessity given the budget, but it, it helps to, to convey just, you know, how much of a pressure cooker environment these characters are a part of. And befitting that pressure cooker environment, there are a lot of close-ups in this movie. And I guess it helps to have a lot of very recognizable actors who are very good at what they do um, present because of the frequent pl- close-ups. More than 80% of the film was shot on the 42nd floor of One Pen Plaza in New York City, which had recently been vacated by a trading firm. And what's more, as I indicated earlier, the film is set in almost real time. It, it takes place over 24 hours, but you, re- you really feel events unfolding. So it's almost as if time is closing in on its characters, and I, I love how the movie is structured in that way. The director's background is in documentary filmmaking with its frequent use of handheld cameras, and that's something that's also present in the film and which helps to convey a kind of realism of tense uncertainty at play in the events depicted. Now, regarding the aspects of the movie that particularly address the financial crisis of 07-08, well, the writer-director, J.C. Chandor, is basically putting a kind of human face on this unnamed bank. And by the way, I think I said earlier that Lehman Brothers had gone corrupt. (laughs) And while that may be true, what I had meant to say was that Lehman Brothers had gone bankrupt as a result of what went on during the crisis. But in any case, in relation to this movie itself, what I think Chandor is doing is basically putting a kind of human face on the bank and the people who work at the unnamed bank in this movie. I mean, these are not real, identifiable figures that the char- that the actors are playing. They are composite, fictionalized characters rather than real ones. And um, so the movie has kind of humanized the crisis, you might say, from the inside, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas we, you know, as as average movie goers or, or viewers, not many of us are going to the movies uh, much these days, are probably more used to seeing and hearing about the more obvious victims of this or any other financial crisis, right? I mean, most such films would concentrate on the victims, as does the next film I'll be talking about today, The Laundromat. And so I think one thing that we might ask is, in watching this movie, *The uh, Margin Call*, is that uh, in humanizing these characters, these you know really quite privileged and wealthy people, is the director ultimately apologizing for their actions? The Jeremy Irons character in this film is especially interesting. He is the um, the CEO of the bank. And, uh, I mean, you know, as the CEO, he has a certain degree of stock ownership and, uh, you know, a strong faith in the rules of capitalism. Um, and he says a number of very interesting things, his character, throughout the course of the film, uh, including, you know, Providing a gloss on the fiduciary duty speech, you know, that hundreds of thousands of shareholders in the company are depending on him, on both him and on both he and other senior management figures in the room to make the right decisions. That, you know, that people's pensions and livelihoods are dependent on the solvency of the institution, you know, the, the investment bank itself. Essentially, he's providing some just self-justification for uh, an ultimate decision that will have you know, very serious ramifications throughout the market and, indeed, throughout the world. Um, so, essentially, what is going on in these early meetings depicted in the movie is that the Jeremy Irons character and the people um, below him, however senior they are in position, they have a knowledge that the rest of the market does not yet have. And they think that their company faces a strong possibility of going out of business unless they do something almost immediately about that information. But of course, as viewers, what we are left to ask is, where is the morality or ethical behavior in, you know, selling off as basically a fire sale. They're, they're problematic assets, these mortgaged back securities that uh, they consider worthless or soon to be worthless or next to worthless, even if, you know, ultimately homes and property are, are can never really be considered that. But more broadly speaking, if you are selling something that you know to be worthless, is that a criminal activity? In most cases... It probably is. But is it the case if one financial institution is selling to another financial institution? Is that illegal? I don't think so, because essentially both parties um, are supposed to be educated buyers, right? Both you know financial institutions are supposed to know what they're doing. And as one of the senior executives in the film says, it's only a matter of time before other banks figure out what we figured out. Or as the Spacey character himself says, there is going to be considerable turmoil in the markets for the foreseeable future, so we want to get ahead of things while we still can. But most memorably, it is the Jeremy Irons character who has the final word when he says, there are three ways to succeed in business. Be first, be smarter, Or cheat. And since cheating isn't an option and being smarter isn't a sure thing, the better route is to be first out of the door. And that's what happens in the movie and that's what happened in real life back in 07-08. But in the markets, of course, you, you rarely know for sure about the future value of something. And that's also the case here, reflected in the words of um, a character played by Paul Bettany when he says, We could be wrong tomorrow. We may have done this too soon. These are some of the ways the market works, and certainly how characters like those portrayed in this movie, Margin Call, rationalize their actions. And I think that, on one hand, this is what the movie is all about bringing what I've called a human face to these characters and you know the real life situations that they face and indeed did face in 07 08 and that's what I mean somewhat problematically I I admit by a kind of apologia on offer here in this film that these are not monstrous caricatures, but, you know, real people, however privileged, yes, however rich, of course, faced with real-life decisions. Not that the movie is vindicating those decisions, just showing them as real people. Making logical decisions, at least within the logic of a corporation. And that's where the movie gets really interesting in so far as it is kind of drives home the point that these men, and yes, almost all of them were men, are ultimately concerned only by the well-being of their investment bank. Though one sense is a good biological extension, be any large corporation. And that these men certainly aren't acting within a larger sense of the public good, I mean, that's a point that really comes across in the movie, despite, you know, some of the rationalizations for their actions, like propping up a fragile housing market for a supposedly greater good. But definitely by the end of the movie, it becomes clear that corporations are amoral entities and exist to survive and succeed at whatever the human cost. And that is certainly well conveyed by this movie, Margin Call, which is available to view both on Netflix and as a DVD to borrow from the library. The second movie that I would like to recommend today is The Laundromat, which is a lively, (laughs) semi-satirical dark comedy about people and ongoing events related to the Panama Papers, which, as you may know, comprise a vast array of leaked documents from the year 2016, April 2016 to be precise. But some of those documents date back to the 1970s, and what they detail is um, financial information for literally hundreds of thousands of of offshore entities, basically tax havens in the form of shell companies that exist to hide the wealth of the world's richest people, um, some of whom may have been depicted in our previous movie, Margin Call. And some of those people are quite crooked, as it uh, turns out, in viewing the laundromat. And certainly that is what the Panama Papers... Revealed a number of uh, very high profile figures um, like politicians uh, had to resign or were um, you know um, prosecuted. but um, not just politicians, many others were involved as well. These documents were created by and taken from a former, no longer existing Panamanian law firm and corporate service provider name, called Masek Fonseca, which was one of the one of the biggest um, in the world at that time in two thousand and sixteen. Now in the movie, the real life figure of Jürgen Mossack is played by Gary Oldman, and the real life figure of Ramón Fonseca is played by Antonio Banderas. Mossack Fonseca, which is. Uh, you know, that's where the the name of the infa- now infamous Panamanian, Panamanian, forgive me, law firm uh, comes from. And they portray these uh, real-life figures as two rather affable, <laughs> smugly, condescending and self-justifying businessmen. Not unlike some of the executives as well that we see in Margin Call. Both real-life men in the laundromat spent a few months in jail in 2017 before paying $500,000 in bail. But they're still facing numerous lawsuits, including serious allegations of collusion with despotic regimes and global organized crime uh, figures and groups. However, It is the Meryl Streep character in this movie who is its true emotional heart. She plays a Michigan widow who's lost her husband in a boating accident and then finds herself the victim of an insurance scam before blamelessly tumbling down a rabbit hole of financial fraud. Um, In this, she's almost as far from the ethically challenged Mossack and Fonseca characters, or indeed those of margin call as a movie character can get. Now the woman that she's playing is a fictionalized character, a composite figure based on the stories of any of number of true life people, but she is herself, as I said, a fictionalized character, unlike the uh, Those of uh, Mossack and Fonseca, who are very real, uh, however um, playfully portrayed they are by Gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas. Now, The Laundromat is based on the non-fiction book uh, by, um, I think a, by now, very famous investigative reporter named Jake Bernstein. Uh, and his book is called Secrecy World, Inside the Panama Papers' Investigation of Illicit Money Networks and the Global Elite. The idea of his book, I think, was to use the Panama Papers to show the evolution of the worldwide financial system through which, as he he charts things, uh, through which trillions of dollars in often illicit funds flow, and that this system is deliberately built to be inscrutable to everyday outsiders like us. Now, before his book, Bernstein had won uh, the Pulitzer Prize in 2011 for his investigative work on the financial crisis of 07-08, so you can see how it's all related here. (laughs) And he's also authored findings on the Money Network uh, that kind of ties Russian leader... Vladimir Vladimir Putin to any number of uh, Russian oligarchs uh, below him, you might say. But regarding this movie, The Laundromat, Bernstein worked closely with uh, veteran Hollywood screenwriter Scott Z. Z, Burns in shaping the screenplay. Now, as you may know, there was a real-life John Doe figure, uh, a whistleblower, who was involved in leaking the Panama papers to the press. And in real life, he remains anonymous, as he does in the movie. Um, He's only ever referred to a few times in the course of the movie. Um, But interestingly enough, in a May 6, 2016 statement, John Doe cited income inequality as the reason for his actions. And he said that he... He leaked the documents, and I quote him here, or it might be a her, I don't know uh, he or she said, simply because I understood enough about their contents to realize the scale of the injustices they described, and of course he's talking about um, vast arrays of uh, fraud and laundering of illicit money um, through tax havens and shell companies, and all of that. The movie *The Laundromat was made by Steven Soderbergh, who is one of the most prominent of American filmmakers working today. You may recall that he made a big splash at just the age of 26 with his first film, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, way back in 1989. So he would be in his late 50s today. You'll probably also know him from such movies as Traffic, for which he won the Best Director Oscar in the year 2000, and for the movie *Aaron Brockovich, which he made the same year. Uh, Today he mostly makes small-scale movies, movies that often reflect events of the moment, like his films Contagion and The Informant. Though he has his very commercially successful side as well, as is evidenced by the Ocean's Eleven series of movies featuring George Clooney and uh, and other very famous actors. Soderbergh's filmmaking style is one that is frequently experimental in form, and so the look of his movies is often quite distinctive, but he's also very good at a kind of dynamic interplay in dialogue between characters, something that also featured in Margin Call, and which is equally true and as important in The Laundromat. Now, The Laundromat is not a traditional investigative film. Instead, it has, and by traditional investigative film, I'm thinking of something like all the President's Men. Instead, it has something of an unusual, if uneven, near-anthology approach. It's, it's it's, it's, quite playful, in effect. A very dark comedy about a very serious subject. Um, think of Dr. Strangelove, for example, which I think is the way for Soderbergh and his writers to prevent, to present a complex subject like the Panama Papers. And entertaining way, with all of it bookended by that composite Meryl Streep character. There's also a little of the Brechtian approach to theater about the movie, with the Fonseca and Mossack characters frequently breaking the fourth wall, as it were, to address the audience directly with their humorous, if if self-serving asides in explication, of the worldwide financial system. But we also get to listen in at various points to the thoughts of the Meryl Streep character as she attempts to make sense of that web of complexity, which the Mossack and Fonseca characters are attempting to simplify for our benefit in the audience. This movie certainly has a lot on its mind and makes several points, one of which is that the United States is the biggest tax haven in the world, especially with the state of Delaware, which makes billions of dollars a year in providing tax shelters. And it certainly drives home the point that a lot of people around the world use these shelters to do terrible things, not just avoid taxes. But I think at its best, The Laundromat is a rallying cry against greed, and it really confirms for us what we've always suspected, that there is a lot of corruption going on among the rich and the powerful, and most especially that the system is ultimately rigged, often legally, in their favor. I mean, just a cursory look at the news today in 2021 will reveal, you know, this or that corporation that has not paid any taxes at all, you know. Now... Despite, or perhaps even because of this didactic purpose at work in The Laundromat, the film is maybe a little uneven as a movie. And by that I mean not everything always works. For example, there are several subplots, including those that involve a corrupt West Indian broker played by Jeffrey Wright. There's also a storyline involving an African-born businessman who forks over the bearer shares of a sort of real company to his daughter after she learns of his affair with her college roommate. You can imagine the uh, the, the possibilities for comedy in such storylines. But perhaps most memorable among these subplots is one that features the Belgian actor Matthias Schoenertz as a, uh, a bribe ranger money mover and would-be blackmailer who figures there's an illicit fortune to be made in serving the political class in China. So all in all, there's this kind of jigsaw of mini-movies going on, all within this larger film that, you know, barely fit together. <laughs> and so it's very ambitious, even if it doesn't always work. And I admire it for its ambition. And I also understand why Soderbergh and his writers have gone with this structure. You know, they want to demonstrate the scale and variety of corruption and other financial misdoings that the Panama Papers reveal, you know, going on across the world. And I did enjoy these diversions from the main Meryl Streep storyline, but you know, arguably the movie might have been stronger in and of itself if it had stayed with her instead of going off in all these tangents. But then I suppose the whole point of the film is that, you know, that spider web of global financial corruption that the subplots reveal, and how it's all tied together by people like the two humorously villainous Mossack and Fonseca characters um, situated in Panama. Okay, that's all for now, folks. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this talk about the financial thriller Margin Call and the somewhat more satirical financial comedy drama The Laundromat. You've been listening to Let's Talk Movies with Code St. Luke librarian Stephen Tomlinson. Please join me next time for more movie and television talk. And remember, if you have any comments or questions, you can best reach me at stomlinson at codest.luke.org or by means of the library's Facebook page, or even by calling the library at 514-485-6900 and leaving a message. All the best, happy viewing, and bye-bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Code St. Luke podcast today. We launched the podcast and telephone broadcasting service in March 2020. The idea was to get content from Parks and Recreation and the library into your homes using Zoom, telephone, and podcasts. If you enjoy the podcast, please give it a rating and review at Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. For more information about programs at the library, visit csllibrary.org. For information about the City of Code St. Luke, visit codesaintluke.org. Have a great day.